When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. Welcome to a brand new season of Stories with Sapphire, a podcast where I share my personal exploration of paranormal and supernatural phenomena through stories, interviews, and poems. I also illustrate my thumbnail art live on Twitch and post it on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash sapphiresandalo. If you have a question, need paranormal advice, or want to share interesting paranormal news, you can send me an email at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com, or you can leave me a voice message at anchor.fm slash storieswithsapphire, and I just might include it in the show. And if you like what you hear, you can support this independently run podcast by visiting patreon.com slash storieswithsapphire. It's the endlessly debated topic. What actually happens when we die? Religion has attempted to answer this question, and some believe that science will one day be able to explain it. But until then, all we have are stories. The experiences of those who have caught a glimpse of the other side. In this week's episode, I'll be sharing stories from Maitita, a nurse with an incredible gift, and psychic medium June Ahern, whose near-death experience set her on her spiritual path. Chapter 1. The Messenger Working on this show has not only introduced me to new, fascinating, and insightful people, but it's also, in a way, reintroduced me to those I've already known. My family. My mom is an avid listener of the show. I'm pretty sure I inherited my love of supernatural stories from her, and she always shares my episodes with our relatives. And one of my titas had listened, we'll call her Reina, and she called me up to tell me about all the unexplainable things that have happened to her. In this first story, I was actually there. So back when I was maybe nine or ten, I was at the birthday party of one of my older cousins. We were taking turns at the piñata, and it was my oldest cousin's turn to go. We'll call her Stella. No one had so much as made a dent in the piñata, so everyone was eagerly waiting to see if she would be the first to break it. She put on the blindfold, readied the metal bat in her hands, and we all took a step back as she swung. She made contact. She swung again. This time, we heard it crack and our mouths began to salivate at the thought of all the candy we were about to come into. She swung again. Then, a loud thud, followed by that satisfying sound of treats trickling onto the ground. She lifted her arms again, completely unaware 
that my other cousin, we'll call him Gil, had run towards the candy. There was a collective gasp among all the adults. They all began screaming for Stella to stop, but she must have confused them for cheers of encouragement, and she swung that bat hard. And as the bat came hurling towards Gil's head, he bent down to grab a handful of sweets, and it went right over him. Stella brought the bat around again, but this time it stopped, just before hitting Gil. I remember we were all staring in horror, shocked at how close Gil had come to having his young skull beaten in. I remember thinking, wow, Gil was really lucky that day. And now, a few decades later, my tita told me the events that led up to that incredibly lucky moment. My tita Reina worked in the natal intensive care unit at the time. There was only one other co-worker with her in the room. As tita Reina was washing her hands, she heard her co-worker call out to her. But they didn't call her by name. They called her Bebot, Bebot. which was a family nickname that only the ones closest to her used. This caught Tita Reina by surprise. Why did you just call me that? Tita Reina asked. Her co-worker looked at her in confusion. Call you what? They replied. Didn't you just call me? I didn't say anything. They reassured her. Tita Reina figured she must have been imagining it. But then she kept hearing someone calling her by nickname. Bebot. I don't want to be called Bebot at work. Tita Reina lashed out at her co-worker, who still insisted that they didn't say anything. When Tita Reina got home that night, she felt the sensation of walking into cobwebs in her garage. She swatted at her face, but ultimately nothing was there. Her husband was already in bed, and so she went to sleep. The next morning, while they were getting ready to head to the birthday party, Tita Reina kept feeling someone tap her shoulder. She'd turn to her husband to ask him what he wanted, but every time, it wasn't him. She figured she was just exhausted, and so they left for the party. When Gil ran out towards the candy, she screamed the loudest. Gil is her son, and I didn't know this at the time, but after the bat stopped right before hitting his head, my dad had turned to my tita and said, Wow, it looked like someone stopped the bat. At the time, Tita Reina was just grateful that Gil was unharmed. Then later that day, when they returned home, she had that same sensation of walking through cobwebs in her garage. And then her sister called. She asked if she was okay, and my tita asked why. And that's when she told her that their brother had passed the night before. This was my tita's second to oldest brother. She had many siblings, but they were extremely close. He had always been proud of her for becoming a nurse and loved her very much. Tita Reina asked when he died, and she realized it was around the same time she heard someone calling her name at the hospital. Bebot was what her brother called her. Then she thought about the party and how Gil narrowly escaped the bat. She believes that her brother was there with her that day.
My tita is a nurse, so she spends most of her time around people who need help. And throughout her career, her intuition has saved countless lives. One time, she had a patient who was about 60 to 70 years old. All of his vitals were fine, but she felt that something was wrong. She told the doctor, but she couldn't exactly articulate what she thought was wrong, just that something was. The doctor called her stupid and reprimanded her for wasting their time when the patient was fine. So she called the cardiologist, and they told her to give the patient Tylenol and he'd be fine. She kept on insisting that they needed to do some tests. Eventually, they called the ultrasound tech and found something wrong. When they transferred the patient to the OR, he coded. If it wasn't for my tita's insistence, the patient may not have made it. Tita Reina has had many instances where what her intuition was telling her differed from what the doctors were saying. And every time she's had that feeling, she's been right and saved somebody's life. Like this one 40-year-old patient in the ICU. She had overdosed and was pronounced brain dead. The hospital was planning to harvest her organs. But when my tita saw the patient's nine-year-old daughter, she wanted to try something. The other doctors and nurses said it was pointless since they had tried everything but had gotten no response. But my tita didn't care and sat next to the patient and spoke to her. You're going to leave her? She said, gesturing toward the young girl. I don't think you want to leave her yet. She took out her pen and tapped the patient on the foot. It twitched, ever so slightly. She hadn't done that before. Tita Reina then held her hand and said, If you can hear me, squeeze my hand. The patient gave a soft squeeze and opened her eyes. This woman was admitted at 7 p.m., and by 7 a.m. the next morning, she was sitting upright in a chair, completely back to normal and ready to go home. Tita Reina not only spared lives from crossing over too soon, but has helped those who need to move on. There was a nurse couple that she was friends with. We'll call them Isla and Dan. Isla had passed away from breast cancer. Two years after she passed, Tita Reina had a vivid dream. She saw Isla smiling and happy and surrounded by pink and white roses. Then Isla asked, Reina, I need a favor from you. Will you please tell my husband to go on with his life? I love him, but it's time he moved on. When Tita Reina woke up, she told her husband about it, but didn't feel comfortable delivering that message to Dan. It might have just been a random dream, and Dan might feel offended by it. Not long after she had that dream, Tita Reina and her husband attended the birthday party of the son of Isla's friend, Marisol. They were catching up with Marisol, and she was telling them about Isla's funeral. Out of curiosity, Tita Reina asked what kind of flowers they had. She said there were pink and white roses everywhere, her favorite. My Tita's husband nudged her and said she should tell her about the dream. She asked Marisol how Dan was doing, and she said that Dan had a new girlfriend, but was very clearly still in love with his wife. At that point, 
The coincidences were too much for her to write her dream off as entirely meaningless. But she still didn't feel comfortable sharing this information with Dan just yet. Then, a few months had passed, and Tita Reina attended a funeral. And Dan was there. She decided to talk with him. This might seem strange, she said. But I had a dream. About your wife. She told me to tell you that it's time to move on. Dan stared at her for a few moments, letting the words sink in. Thank you, he said. I was feeling guilty about my new girlfriend. She wants to get married, and I know I'm keeping her at a distance. You know I still visit Isla's grave every single day. I'm really glad you told me that. It's not strange at all. Thank you. My tita says that she never wanted to be a nurse. Her mother had forced her to become one, but she never felt the calling. She's always scared that she'll make a mistake. But after hearing her remarkable stories, it's hard to imagine that she was meant to be anywhere else. Thank you for all the good you do and have done, Tita. And thank you to all the healthcare workers out on the front lines during this pandemic. Chapter 2. I Want to Go Back. My realm was perfect. Golden sun, clear sky, fresh air. This realm had been so good to me, and I was grateful for its gifts every day. And then unannounced, the cosmic judge sent me away to another. A foreign realm that I wanted no part of and knew nothing of. My realm was perfect. But when I arrived, their sun was a color I didn't know existed. The sky was infinite. The air was purity itself. Somehow this place had perfected perfection. I danced in the twirling fields of honeyed flowers and sang hymns of joy, my echoes reaching the unknowable distance. For how could I have been such a fool to think that my realm was the ultimate? In that moment, I knew everything and nothing. And in that moment, I was eternity. But then the fickle judge sent me back, without warning, without reason. Back to my beige sun, empty sky, suffocating air. I don't want to stay here anymore. How can I, when utopia is waiting for me on the other side? Why am I being tortured for their mistake? I want to go back. I want to go back. I will do anything to go back. Before I became a podcaster and paranormal investigator, I used to be a full-time animator and character designer. And podcasts kept me company while I drew, especially paranormal podcasts. One of my favorites was Jim Harold's Campfire. I would actually be shocked if you hadn't heard of it because it's one of the OGs. In fact, it recently celebrated its 13th anniversary. But if you haven't heard of it, it's a call-in show where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories with Jim every week. 
The story topics range from ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and stories that can't be categorized. You're listening to my show right now, so I know that you love non-fictional paranormal stories. Stories involving the serial killer Ted Bundy, or a man who owned a haunted hotel. And also heartwarming stories of deceased loved ones coming back to say hello. Jim Harold's campfire was a huge inspiration for me. So do me a personal favor and tune in to Jim Harold's campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Stories with Sapphire. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Chapter 3. The Other Side. In the ninth episode of season one, my guest Ying mentions a woman named June Ahern. Uh, so my name is June Ahern, and uh, I am mostly retired, but for over 45 years, I had a really quite successful uh, profession as a psychic reader and medium, uh, life coach, and author of four books. After a near-death experience, June began her journey as a medium. Apologies for the occasional dip in quality during the call. It's been really a wonderful, surprising career that I got into. It was a surprise to me. I wasn't something that I said I was going to do when I grow up at all. You know, I came from kind of the uh, old kind of tradition where girls didn't go to college and because they were just going to get married. So I was told to take typing and shorthand so I could get a job long enough to meet a husband. And I, I just knew that wasn't right for me. The first day I went in San Francisco, I went downtown on the bus and I looked at all those people and I said to myself, this isn't going to work out. Then I found a school for long distance truck driving and I decided that would be the job for me. I, I'd like to get out of town, be on the road, be by myself. And that's what I w signed up at the school. I called and made all the arrangements and then I had an auto accident, and that's what changed my whole life and the whole path and everything else that was laid out for me from that day on. Uh, the, one of the curious things about being in the accident is that when I was sitting in the car, we had a utility pole head on, and this is before seat belts. Um, I, I, had, I disfigured my face. Um, the, I went through the windshield, and when I came back in, the windshield came back in on my face. There was a woman that was outside the car and she was looking in and she had this beautiful, dressed all in white and warm and she's looking at me. And I thought she said to me, it's going to be okay. Afterwards, the policeman that showed up and he was sitting there talking to me. And uh, you know, later on when I, he, he called me to get the report and I said, well, the, that woman told me it was gonna be okay. He said, what woman? We had been lost in a, you know, like a, a complex, a parking lot uh, down by Stanford. And he says, uh, the couple that saw the accident, they left and used phone booth, you know, right? You had to find a phone, a phone booth. And they didn't come back. We came. Uh, so there was nobody else there. And I know that woman was there. And 
and I'm, I believe she must have been an angel to me. I believe it because she sent me the feeling of calm down. It'll calm down. You can be okay. Wherever the other side is, whether it's heaven, nirvana, or another dimension, uh, it certainly felt like utopia. Uh, it was blissful. It was so beautiful. Honestly, I didn't want to come back. I, I wanted to stay there. Even with all the years of meditation and having joyful, peaceful times, nothing, nothing was ever like that feeling. When I went to the other side, I did not go through a tunnel like other people. I saw myself out in nature and there was relatives that I didn't know. We, when we came to this country, uh, we were the only family that came. We didn't come with other relatives. So most of my knowing relatives was by photographs. And these were relatives that had passed on before, and they were in this garden. All I knew is there were all these relatives and grandparents and aunts and uncles, and they were all having this beautiful time. They were laughing and joyful, and it was bright. Not bright to where it hurt your eyes, but such a brightness that it was warm and inviting. And there was a gate in front of me, and I remember my grandparents looking at me. They said, hello, June. How, how are you? And, you know, greeting, a very nice, and everyone's laughing and looking and greeting. And I wanted to come in. I went up and said, I, you know, I want to come in. And they said, not now, June, not now. And waved me, actually waved me away. That's why I said I always got rejected at the pearly gates and just waved me away. And I remember feeling extremely disappointed that I was not there. And when I returned, you know, I was in the emergency ward. They were cutting off my clothes and poking in needles in my face and all kinds of stuff was going on. And I, I didn't want to be back in life. I couldn't talk about it for years afterwards. I mean, how are you going to tell anybody? Guess what? I died in case. I, I saw the other side, you know. I went to heaven and they rejected me. So I couldn't talk about it. It wasn't until someone gave me uh, Dr. Raymond Moody who wrote uh, Life After Life, that reading of the accounts of the research he had done, I finally, it was early 80s that I came out and said to somebody, you know what, I, I had one of these things called near-death experience. It isn't common, like now it's very common. Uh, you can find meetings all over. People are speaking about it openly. Back then, people weren't talking about that kind of thing. It was thought to be, again, taboo or not scientific enough. It was, it was, you know, really controversial. Before my accident, a few months before, I had gone to a friend's friend's house that was doing readings of the playing cards. You know, just a little party with all the girls. You know, I was only 19. And I went because I was very curious. And she had said, you're going to have a really bad accident, like a car accident. And there are going to be two men there. And you have to decide... Uh, what man you want. And I went, oh my God, that sounds terrible. I'm not going to have a reading again. Uh, and then because she had been so accurate within three or four months, this accident, I went and looked for how do, how do I learn to do this? So I bought a book called It's in the Cards. And that was about what, 1970. And I thought, well, I'm going to learn how to read these so I can find out. So it was curiosity that drove me. How did this happen? You know, my mother used to read our tea leaves in the morning and we'd all get a little laugh out of it you know 
nobody really took it real serious. And she watched a program called One Step Beyond. She was kind of into it, but we grew up in a very religious family. So you weren't allowed to talk about that to the nuns, you know, to the priest, to anybody outside that mom read tea leaves. And it was, you know, forbidden within our, our religion. So I started studying the cards and I had already been, I knew that sometimes you could look at something and get information. And I started being correct for people. People, I had to practice. So I called, uh, you know, I have five sisters and two brothers. And I, I just had everybody let me do a reading for them. And they were like, yeah, that's right. Or that happened. So, <clears throat> excuse me, because I came curious, I went to, I, I learned that there were cards called the Tarot. Never seen them before. Didn't know anything about them. And in San Francisco at that time, you know, the learning annex, I don't know if it's still in existence. It would give all kinds of classes and have all kinds of speakers all over. And before that, there was a school called Orpheum. So I went to this class of Tarot. One of the classes, the teacher asked me to stay and said to me, you know, you're really gifted at this. You should really think about doing it. And I still didn't get it. You know? And I started doing, taking the Tarot cards and reading for Everybody I met, all my friends, all their friends, buses, cocktail lounges. I just wanted to keep reading for people. And finally, in 1975, a friend of mine said, I have three people that want a reading. And it, to me, now it was a hobby. I'm studying. I'm studying all the time. I'm, I got my cards by my pillow. I sleep with them. I just kind of fell in love with the tarot. And so I took my first client's in San Francisco, in Noe Valley, for $5 a reading. And I was like, wow. I had quite extensive injuries on my face and, and part of my leg. And so I kind of gave up the idea of long-distance driving. So I was back working in an office. And the tarot cards and reading for people saved me from being gloomy, being depressed. And that's how it was. It just kept growing. And then people of other friends heard about me, and they wanted to come. And I never advertised for doing readings, and I ended up being busy all the time. As a young woman in a disfigured face, all of a sudden, my whole world was about recovery, uh, getting used to having scars on my face, getting you know my body back in shape. I mean, I was in the hospital a week, uh, pretty much unheard of uh, <laughs> these days, but uh, you know, I was in a bad shape. I had glass all in my eye. They had my eye covered. They were convinced that I was probably going to be blind. That's what they told my parents. Uh, I wasn't blind, and uh, you know I had one of the best plastic surgeons that was leaving the emergency room when I was coming in, and he came in. He says, "I knew you're gonna you're gonna need me." So uh, I, I was all in recovery. I did not even think about fate at all. Years later, I went into trance for someone to ask me questions, and one of the questions is, "Why me?" And I thought. <laughs> I thought they were going to say, oh, because you were so spiritual, you know, you were destined to spirituality. What the answer came is, you were available. So perhaps, um, you know, there's times when people come back and the, the message of love, compassion, and kindness, and all of the things that we read about, and some of us practice, uh, hopefully practice, uh, perhaps then I was just available to come back and do this work. You know, and uh, so it was after my car accident and a near-death experience that I actually clinically died and then came back.
This is not the first time I've heard of someone having a near-death experience and then returning to life spiritually changed. It's almost as if something is unlocked within you. So what do these experiences tell us about the transition from life to death? About the nature of existence and consciousness? Is it really proof of an afterlife, as many people believe? Or is there a scientific explanation? The common factors of near-death experiences are feeling a sense of calm, feeling disassociated from your body, and feeling the presence of other people or entities. And these feelings are also found in those who ingest dimethyltryptamine, more commonly known as DMT. So numerous studies have been done to compare the effects of DMT and the stories of those who have had near-death experiences, and there is a striking resemblance. However, they're not entirely identical. A subtle yet important distinction is that those who ingested DMT had feelings of entering an unearthly realm, while those having a near-death experience had feelings of coming to a point of no return. Even if these near-death experiences are simply our body's physical way of coping with the stress of almost dying, how beautiful is it that our bodies have this built-in function that cares for us so deeply, that, by design, we are built to handle the transition from life to death? Having trust in your body and truly connecting with it is one of the first steps you can take to opening up your intuition. We're all psychic. You have to op you can open up that part of your brain. You can start out with three, five minutes a day. I'm going to just calm my mind, calm my breathing, and feel, become very much aware of my body, what I'm feeling. Yoga is really good. Hatha yoga, body yoga, uh, is very good for beginning process of removing stress from the body in order to access the psychic mind. Most people have some kind of psychic experience, and it could be as simple as saying to somebody, I knew I was going to run into you. It is so simple that people miss their psychic mind working. You know, and that's what they call following your heart, following your feelings, uh, intuition. And so the psychic mind, once you open up to the intuition and start to trust it, and you can do fun things like you can play. Um, when we were kids, we would turn the cards over and mess them up, and then we would try to, to remember you know, which ones matched, where was the other spade or where was the other diamond or like that. So you keep your mind active and you begin to do that. And you could play with, I'm going to send you a message. You could say to your husband, okay, or, or whoever you want to play with. Uh, I'm going to think of something, someplace. I always say, think of someplace you'd really love to go to and, and think about, you know, stop and see it and smell it and hear it and all the things. And then the other person gives you back, well, I feel like you're thinking of this wherever it is, you know, this house you used to go to as a kid. And I see this older woman, maybe you're visiting your grandmother, things like that. Uh, so these kind of things prompt you. They prompt the psychic mind to begin to work. Uh, ESP, telepathy is the best way. When I would teach classes, I would have all kinds of games we would play, hold objects, telekinesis, you know, hold an object. What do you feel about it? And then we would check with the other person that brought it, the other student. So once you open it up and you begin to feel, wow, I can do this or I get this, then you don't really mistrust yourself as much. I think it's good to have a, 
a healthy skepticism, like a scientist. A scientist will say, I don't know if this is real, but I'm going to go ahead and experiment with it. I'm going to look at it, listen to what others are saying. Uh, you have not had this experience, you say to yourself, but let me hear you. And again, then do I want to believe? Do I want to open up and, and see, play the psychic game? Um, you know, I could do it with cards. I can, uh, there's, there's cards called the Zener deck that has certain symbols on it, stars and diamonds, and, and you can play that game. And you can test it out for yourself. I mean, I think people should test it out for themselves. I don't, hey, I don't believe every psychic ever any, or who says they're a psychic. And while this place is haunted, I'm like, yeah, let me see for myself. I'm pretty skeptical. You can't change anybody's mind. And it's a waste of breath to change, try to change somebody's mind that already has uh, you know, ideas that this can't happen. They've never experienced it. Once I heard the pet psychic say to John Edwards when he said, why don't people believe in this? And she said, well, darling, um, if you haven't experienced it, you just really don't know. And that's what it comes to when people say things to me like, I don't believe in that. And I say, well, that's my life. You know, I've seen it. I've been there. And uh, tell me something about myself. I don't play that game. If they have a closed mind, they only want to argue with you their thoughts, and they're not going to entertain what you have to say. There are other people that are interested. And then they start talking about, well, you know, that's kind of funny you said that because I knew this about this person or this event. I had a dream. Don't keep running to psychics for the answer. I, uh, readers, I'm, I'm not for that at all. The reader should really teach you how to make decisions based upon trusting yourself. It's what I did for years. And that's what I'd like to say, you know. It's part of life. It's part of who you are. But just don't follow what somebody else tells you. Check it out for yourself. If you'd like to learn more about June's work, you can visit her website in the show notes at juneahern.com. Consider grabbing yourself a copy of her most popular book, How to Talk with Spirits. And now it's time for Spirited Discussion, the part of the show where I answer listener mail, offer paranormal advice, or discuss any interesting paranormal news. Today, I have an email submitted by Brenda. I love your podcast. I missed your voice on something scary. Hope you are staying healthy and busy in this crazy pandemic time. I listen to you at work, but now, at this moment, I'm off and listening to the Women in White episode. This lady said she thinks her daughter met her in the bedroom even before she was born, and that caught my attention. I always have crazy dreams, and even before I had my nine-year-old daughter, I had a dream— I was somewhere, either in a hospital or some room, and I saw this baby in a blanket. And when I looked, it was a light brown baby girl with big eyes and just smiling. So when I had my daughter, later on, I realized she was the exact baby I had dreamt about. I still think about this dream till this day. But I wanted to send you an email once I heard this lady's story, because it just hit me. Thank you. And I will most definitely send another email sometime soon. Brenda. Thank you for your email, Brenda. This is the exact reason why I love sharing the stories that I do. I think a lot of the time people have these little unexplainable experiences and they keep it to themselves because they don't think that people would understand or they would just dismiss it. 
And I've received a lot of messages that are similar to this. Um, I actually spoke with Ryan Sprague of the Somewhere in the Skies podcast, and he had a shared dream years ago and didn't know that that was a common thing until he heard my episode about dreams. This is why I share these stories, so that people know that they are not alone and there are people who may be able to provide answers for their questions. And actually, I was messaging with the lovely ladies of the Femlore podcast, and Mindy told me that the same episode, The Women in White, made her think of spirit babies, which is something I wasn't aware of. So apparently, a spirit baby is the soul of a baby that hasn't inhabited a body yet. And there's some debate over whether or not the spirit chooses who will be their parents, or if some higher being chooses. So in Sherry's story, her daughter Lauren visits her on the night she's conceived, but her appearance is as a 21-year-old. And that's not the only story I've heard of people seeing their child before they're born, and more often than not, they appear older than a baby, which I find really interesting because it goes along with the idea that time is not linear. You know, the past, present, and future are all happening at the same time, and our human bodies are only able to experience a sliver at a time. Anyways, uh, thank you so much for your email, Brenda. And if anybody else who's listening to the show has a similar experience to something that I bring up, please email me about it. Let me know. Um, I love gathering all these tiny little bits and pieces. It always brings a new perspective to the phenomena. You know, I, I am seriously learning new things every day, and I love it. <laughs> Thanks for joining me today. If you like what you heard and would like to support this independently run show, consider becoming a member of my Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash stories with Sapphire to see the different tiers and perks like live watch parties or private tarot readings. Stick around to the end of the episode for your shout out existing patrons. Have you ever had a near death experience? Send me an email at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sandalo. Special thanks to my Tita and my guest, June. Music and poem written by Sapphire Sandalo. For more information on this episode and my guest, visit storieswithsapphire.com. Thank you to all my current patrons, Alvaro Martinez, Amy Garcia, Ariana Stewart, Chelsea Weddle, Connie A., Darnick Sam Crow, Deborah Anaya, Dory Dewberry, Gavin, Jerry L., Jen Ann Ferguson, Julie Tran, Kanisha Sharp, Kiki Vanderwall, Kusea, Nina Palumbo, Randy Hager, Rebecca, Ryan Mangini, Sarah, Simon Finn, Tammy Brassard, Tanya Robledo, Tara Palladino, Tiffany Aitken, Victoria Santos, Xavier Martinez, and Zoe. Thank you.